with me to Acts, and we're working our way through the Acts of the Apostles, and uh, I'm going to look at Acts chapter 11 and verse 19 to the end of the chapter. We remind ourselves that this is not the word of man, but the word of God. Acts 11 verse 19. Now those who had been scattered by the persecution in connection with Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus and Antioch, telling the message only to Jews. Some of them, however, men from Cyprus and Cyrene, went to Antioch and began to speak to Greeks also, telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus. The Lord's hand was with them, and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. News of this reached the ears of the church at Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he arrived and saw the evidence of the grace of God, he was glad and encouraged them all to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. He was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith, and a great number of people were brought to the Lord. Then Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul, and when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. So for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught great numbers of people. The disciples were called Christians first at Antioch. During this time, some prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. One of them, named Agabus, stood up and through the Spirit predicted that a severe famine would spread over the entire Roman world. This happened during the reign of Claudius. The disciples, each according to his ability, decided to provide help for the brothers living in Judea. This they did, sending their gift to the elders by Barnabas and Saul. Thank you. Turn with me to that passage that we read. It's always good to have the Bible open in front of us as we look at it. Verse 19, with which we started at, takes us back to, if you like, the time of chapter 8 in Acts, when Stephen, you remember, was martyred. And all of the believers, except the apostles, were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. And we are told now here in verse 19 to other places also. And what at the time of Stephen's death and the scattering of all but the apostles may have seemed bad news for the fledgling church, as we will see here, actually contributed and one could say was the means of the church growing. I think it was Tertullian, I think it was, who said that the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. There are times when we do not always understand or see the meaning of a particular event. And yet, even in that event, friends, God is at work. We, we saw that as we concluded 
Um, for those of you who were here last Sunday evening, we uh, long last have concluded our studies in Genesis. When towards the end, Joseph told his brothers, you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. That statement by Joseph at the end of Genesis 50 could well be written over what is happening here in Acts chapter 11. And I want to just share with you four things this morning. There's a telling, there's a living, there's a discipling, and there's a helping. Firstly, there is a telling. We are told clearly that some went and spoke the message only to Jews, and that some also went and began to speak to Greeks, also telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus. The telling of the gospel, the sharing of Jesus was paramount to these believers. Wherever they went, they spoke of Jesus. And remember the reason that they had to flee was because they were speaking of Jesus. And we are told that in both instances, a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. Oh, for those days again, friends. And so what we are now seeing is, as I said last week, the gospel spreading. We see the church being built. We see people's lives being changed, both, if you like, in a geographical sense and a cultural sense. Notice the little word also in verse, verse 20 it is. It says, spoke to Greeks also. That little word carries the same meaning of the word even in regards to the Gentiles in verse 18, where we, we looked at it last week, where even the Gentiles, yes, even the Gentiles, and now also the Greeks. You see, the telling of the gospel is not for one particular group of people. It is for all people. And what an impact these believers made in Antioch. Antioch, by this time, what was a large metropolitan city. It was actually the third city of the Roman Empire. It was only behind Rome and Alexandria. And the gospel comes to it through these people and makes a huge impact in the city. Here's the thing that really struck me as I studied this week and was of immense encouragement. Who are these people? Who told the message? Who spoke the good news of Jesus? Look carefully. We have no names of any of them. Yet what we have here is the first, as one writer says, the general attempt at taking the gospel directly to the Gentiles. Yes, those of you who know your Bible will know, will know that last week we looked at Cornelius who was a Gentile, and back in chapter 8, 
Going even further back, there is the story of the Ethiopian eunuch with the probably being another Gentile who were both reached. But both of these instances, Cornelius and the Ethiopian eunuch, both of these instances were special events that involved direct leading and guiding from God. Here, here, in Antioch, what we have is a whole city being evangelized to great effect, and we don't even know the name of any of them. They are, as one writer calls them, unnamed pioneers. There is no Peter, there's no Paul, there's no apostles. They are just ordinary men and women who have been changed by the gospel. And they want that message shared wherever they go. You know, in a day and in an age of social media, and in a day and an age that the church is brought into where the idea is that for anything to be big and good and attract a crowd, we need a name puller. What we see here is that ordinary Everyday Christians reaching out with the good news of Jesus to those with whom they identify with, to those whom they live with, to those whom they work with. And what an impact. Now, now don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying that the big names, so to speak, in Christian circles is wrong. God has gifted them in such a way that often that gift does put them in the, lim the sorry, the limelight, the, yeah, the limelight, and, and we can learn from them. Of course we can. However, and, and it is a real fear of mine, and one I think that a lot of Christians have bought into that says, let us call in an expert. Someone who will do it for us. When in actual fact, brothers and sisters, God has called and God has commissioned all of us, whoever we are, wherever we are, wherever we go, to, as verse 20 says, tell the good news about the Lord Jesus Christ. And yes, of course, we have those that are gifted in evangelism. And yes, of course, we can learn. But here, we see a whole city reached through what we could call anonymous missionaries. Not one name. Not known to us. But I tell you, certainly known to God. And our task, brother, sister, is to be faithful. And as one writer says, if that does not put our name forward on earth, that should not bother us. For our aim in life is not to get our name in the papers, but to hear the Master say, well done. Well done. Good and faithful servant. Here's a couple of examples. I wonder... I wonder how many of you know the name or have even heard of Mordecai Ham. Mordecai Ham 
was an American evangelist who was preaching the gospel the night that Billy Graham became a Christian. Or how about this? I read this this week. Forgive me, I may have shared this before. I really should keep a note of all my illustrations. But anyway, I read this this week. It's a testimony. The minister did not come that morning. He was snowed up, I suppose. At last, a very thin-looking man, a shoemaker or tailor or something of that sort, went up into the pulpit to preach. Now, it is well that preachers be instructed, but this man was really stupid. He was obliged to stick to his text for the very simple reason that he had nothing else to say. His text that morning was, Look unto me and be ye saved all the ends of the earth. That man's name we don't know. But sitting in the congregation that evening, was Charles Spurgeon. Probably one of the greatest preachers that this country has ever known. And it was on that night as that elderly old man stood up and preached on that text that Spurgeon was saved. Friends, God can and God wants and God will use us all. All of us. And we all have our part to play. And when we all engage, then it makes it so much easier. Winston Churchill said this once, it is better to put 10 men to work than to do the work of 10 men. May we even this week be willing to tell something of Jesus to those who we come in contact with. Telling. Secondly, we read of living. Such, as you read through this, such is the impact that these anonymous missionaries were making that word of it reached back to the ears of the apostles back at the mother church in Jerusalem. And we noted last week that the church in Jerusalem had a duty to check out that any new ministries were really of God. They had a responsibility to do that. And what they decide to do upon hearing what is happening at Antioch, what they decide to do is send Barnabas. And they send him on a fact-finding mission. And what a great decision that was to send Barnabas, and we'll come to that uh, in a little minute or two. However, I want to just point out something very simple here. Forgive the simplicity of it. But I believe it to be vitally important. We are told that news of many turning to faith in God reached the ears of the church. That is, they heard. And when Barnabas turns up, notice carefully what we are told. When he arrived and saw, that tells me that these new believers were not just telling out this gospel, they were living it out also. 
this little light of mine. I'm going to let it shine. You see, it's one thing to say we're a Christian, people hearing. It's quite another to live it out in everyday life. People see it. And I've mentioned it many times, but how we live our Christian life is so important. And upon arriving in Antioch, Barnabas saw, saw for himself the change about in lives that are committed to Jesus Christ. And notice what he does. The first thing that he does is he rejoices. He's glad God is on the move. The church is being built. People are being saved. He rejoices. That should be our response when we see lives being transformed by the grace of God, when we see people growing in the grace and in the knowledge of God. Barnabas was a happy chappy. We also see that he encouraged them. Oh, how we need encouragers today. It's really easy, dead easy, to, as we saw last week, mump and moan and criticise. This isn't right, that isn't right, why this, why that? What about him, what about her? No, Barnabas encourages them. He encourages them to remain true to the Lord. And again, brother, sister in Christ, we all have our part to play. We can all make the effort to encourage somebody. I thank you. A well done. I, I really appreciate that. A card, a text, a phone call, a visit. It ain't rocket science. And it ain't hard. Here's a challenge to you. Encourage somebody this week. Notice what we are told about Barnabas. Verse 24. He was a good man. Full of the Holy Spirit and faith. Actually, if you're using the NIV, the NIV misses out a crucial word between verses 23 and 24 that actually links all of this together. And that word is because. That's a, that would be the literal translation. I think the AV has four. And you see the two are linked. Barnabas encouraged them because... He was a good man because he was full of the Holy Spirit, because he was full of faith. This is a man of true Christian character, a man of integrity. How we need men and women like that in our churches today. And we also see, if you like, the second half of the verse is linked with that word because. Because he was a good man, because he was full of the Holy Spirit, because he was a man of faith a great number of people were brought to the Lord. God is on the move in Antioch. Exciting things are happening. People are getting saved. They are telling out and they are living out the gospel. What should happen next? Well, just let the text speak for ourselves because thirdly, we read of learning. Kind of got discipling down in my notes, but discipling, learning, teaching, whatever one we've put down. Look, look down at verses 25, 26, and we see here another great attribute of Barnabas. 
Barnabas realizes that these new Christians need training. They need instructing. They need dis discipling. They need teaching. And notice what he does. He recognizes that in and of himself, he can't do it. He needs help. He needs help. And he goes to, and notice the word that, that, that Luke uses, look for Saul. And that suggests that it wasn't an easy task. Remember, Barnabas is in Antioch, and we're told that Saul is in Tarsus. There was about 100 miles apart. And we read that he goes, and he looks, and he finds now, those of you who have been kind of with us all the way through Acts will, will recall that Saul and Barnabas have got previous. They have met before, back in chapter 9. In chapter 9, following the conversion of Saul, it was Barnabas who first introduced Saul to the apostles, who stood up for him, who vouched for him. And as he watched Saul, Barnabas had witnessed how effective Saul was in talking and in debating with, and Acts 9 tells us, the Grecian Jews. And that is the very group of people that are in Antioch. And Barnabas, remember, something like 10 years has passed. But Barnabas remembered and thought, there's a guy that can help me. I'm going to go and get him. And I'm going to bring him back. And for a whole year, for a whole year, they met with the church, teaching them the truths of the Christian life. I don't think that this can ever, ever be underestimated. There are two things that a new believer, actually all of us, okay? There are two things that a new believer and all of us actually need. And that is encouraging. And that is discipling. None of us will ever reach that stage where we don't need to learn more. And Barnabas and Saul spent time teaching and discipling these new believers. That is, we will never grow. We will never grow in our Christian faith if we do not commit ourselves to the teaching of his word. To the discussing of his word. That's why it's important that we gather Sunday morning, Sunday evening to listen to the word of God, whoever it is that's up here. That's why I encourage you, and you're probably sick of it now, but I do encourage you, if you ain't in a growth group, get in one. Get involved. Sit under the teaching of God's word. Read it at home. Yeah. When a baby is born, we, we, don't, we don't just leave him or her to go on with it. We have to look after it. We need to care for it. We need to feed it. We need to change it. We need to teach it to eat and to walk and to talk. And many of us can remember the hard work that that is. It is hard work. The mess. My, uh, Sunday at the Manchester, there's food everywhere. The frustration. Kind of it's one step forward, it's two steps back. 
I maybe go from time to time a walk in the woods with Caleb and Joshua. Man, a 10-minute walk turns into about two hours. But you see, if all we do is continually spoon-feed our children, if all we continually do is put them in the buggy and push them round, they're never going to learn. And as Christians, we need to learn. We need to grow. When someone comes to Christ, they are like that newborn baby. It's a whole new world. That's why we talk about being born again. And as we grow, and as we mature, as we all should, we actually begin, don't we, to realize that actually the more we think we know, the little we actually do know. So much to learn. And so we grow in being taught and teach. You see, friends, disciples make disciples. That's what's happening at Antioch. Disciples make disciples. And Luke tells us here that the, that the disciples were first called Christians at Antioch. The reason that it would seem, most commentators are agreed in this, the reason that it would seem that, that these new believers, that they were called Christians first at Antioch, was because they never stopped talking about Jesus. And almost, the, the locals, it was almost like a kind of nickname for them. It means literally the Christ ones. That, that, that's what it means literally. A literal translation is the Christ ones. And it's interesting because the word Christian only appears another twice in all of the New Testament. It wasn't until about the 4th, 5th, 6th century that it became the kind of main name for Christians, <laughs> for, for believers. Often in the early church, and as you read through Acts, we, we, we read of the believers being called disciples, or the brethren, or saints, or believers, or saved. Yet such was their living that the people of this metropolitan city looked at them and noticed that they had been Christ. Christ ones. In our street, in our home, in our workplace, do people notice that about us? Telling, living, learning, finally and very quickly, helping. You know, things are always unfolding, aren't they? Um, things happen, events take over, um, sometimes they come completely unexpected. And, and what we find at the end here is that um, there's another visit from the church at Jerusalem. And this time, it's a group of prophets. And one of them, Agabus, he stood up and uh, through the Holy Spirit, and that's the vital bit of information, but through the Holy Spirit, predicted that a severe famine would come. 
Now, prophecy in the New Testament early church took the form of what one writer says was understandable messages in the speaker's ordinary language given under the direct inspiration of God by the revelation of the Spirit. And it seems to me here, and I'm not dodging the issue of prophecy, I'm touching that later on and I have in the past, I'm not dodging it at all, but it seems to me that Luke, who is writing this account, is not so much concerned about the prophecy which actually came to pass, but rather about the response of this fledgling church as they help with a need that is developing within the wider church. It really is, brothers and sisters, Christian mission working at its best. You see, what has happened is, if you like, the mother church at Jerusalem, in their time of plenty, has, has sent Barnabas, who along with Saul has greatly blessed the church at Antioch. And now what is happening is there is a famine coming and so they are now in need. And so the church at Antioch by their gifts and notice carefully, notice carefully what is said, according to his ability. That's important. According to his ability, gave help to those who were suffering in the famine. It really is, as I said, partnership in mission partnership in the gospel giving to others as they and indeed as we are able and this helping and this giving is important for the work to go on and we can all give and we can help in many ways monetary yes but also our time and our talents and our prayers you see the church at Antioch like any church before and since and always will be was not perfect. If you're looking for the perfect church, you won't find it. But what we see from just this little snapshot is that this was a church who told out the gospel. This was a church who lived out the gospel. This was a church that was willing to be taught and to teach. And this was a church that was willing to help brothers and sisters in other parts of the world. May we, by God's enabling power, be the same kind of church today for his glory and our good. Let's pray.